Hey guys, welcome back to the Fedinger Podcast. Today we had Palestinian-born Hash Taya, CEO and founder of Burgatory on the podcast. We got to speak about his journey through life, living in Qatar, moving to Australia to open up nearly 20 Easy Marts and then now 20 Burgatory stores all around Victoria. It was so interesting to hear it and we got to hear about his personal side to being a Palestinian, having family all around Palestine and how his life's journey is so impacted not just in his personal brand but in his business and how now his business is trying to push the Palestinian narrative in the right way. You guys are going to love this episode. There were so many takeaways and so many action steps. Make sure you go get a meal from Burgatory and then you enjoy this episode because this episode's a banger. Hope you guys enjoy. Thank you. I've, I've been rallying for Palestine for the last, since, for the last 20 years but um, in Australia since 2007. I've led chants, led protests, um, and I've always done it silently. I don't do it for uh, notoriety or to say, hey, look at me, look at me. Um, I've got real passion and love for our homeland, you know. Yeah. Have you been <coughs> back? Or is I've been back a few times. I actually wanted, okay. I want to I share one of my experiences with you guys. Of start there. Yeah, be, yeah, be very nice to hear. Do you want to start there or do you want to start with who I am, what I am, where I came from? Uh I feel like we're on a good flow there. Yeah, just, just, uh, who, I reckon just tell us the story. Let's hear, let's hear the story and then we'll hear who you are. Yeah, sure. So I'd say I was probably around seven or eight years old and I was with my dad and my older brother and we were crossing uh, through the Jordanian border into Palestine. And I remember this very vividly. The Israeli soldiers at the checkpoint came onto the bus and dragged my dad... Um, out of the bus, put him on his knees outside, and uh, I'm actually getting, I'm tearing up thinking about it. It was actually, it was pretty bad. They put a, um, a gun to my dad's head and said, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Um, you're not welcome. And me and my brother are sitting in the bus screaming and crying. Um, you know, where I thought I was going to watch my dad get shot in the head in front of me. Um, oh. You know, alhamdulillah, he didn't. But went to Palestine, um, this was the first time I met my dad's extended family. And, you know, we saw how they lived and we saw the houses and we saw the farms and <coughs> the hospitality was, was pretty amazing. Um, Whereabouts in Palestine was it? So, Janin. Okay. Yeah. So, it's uh, not, not, not on the Gaza side, on the, on the West Bank side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so, you're seven, eight now. Obviously, that experience shocked you. Like, like you think about it, it scarred life. me. It's something that's it's something that's never left my mind. Um, a couple of years after that, uh, my grandfather, my dad's dad, was in a taxi. Now going from Palestine to Jordan, and an Israeli tank just randomly, you know, cruising past him, ended up crushing the taxi he was in while he was in it. And um, for the rest of his life, he had heart problems. He had a paralyzed arm. Um, you know. For no reason at all. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty brutal. Um, and these these are personal stories. They're not stories that you read in the newspaper. They're not stories that people make up. These are stories that I've witnessed um, in in my own family. You know, um, my mum, one of my mum's relatives, uh, had been saving for a long time to go buy a new car for for his family. And um, I remember this also vividly because my mum thought it was her brother. Um, she was getting phone calls saying, um, uh, did your brother just pass, uh, uh, blah, blah, blah. So he, he was saving up to buy a new car, went and bought a new car, 
driving home to his family, you know, to, to show them the new car that he got him. And a helicopter shot a missile at his car and blew him up uh, while his little son was with him in the car. And um, pretty heartbreaking stuff. No reason at all. No reason at all. Not part of Hamas, not part of any any so-called jihad group. Um, just a man that, that's been working really hard to go buy his family a car. You know? How did your mum or dad, like, after these traumatic experiences, you know, to themselves or to their loved ones, like, keep moving on with life? Like, how the how they're that strong, you know? Because if this happened to any of us, it would be like, you know? Yeah, so um, I'd, I'd say that the Palestinian people are naturally resilient, to be honest with you. Um, the things that Palestinians have been going through for the last 75 years, I can't even fathom, you know? I haven't even probably seen five percent of what the people go through but um our parents naturally shield us from this sort of trauma and pain so being younger i don't think my parents showed us the extent of their hurt but now that i'm older and i can reflect back on it and actually have a look at the things that they went through you know um just thinking about it brings tears to my eyes so I can't imagine the way they felt back then going through it, getting those phone calls, you know, um, behind closed doors when they were in their bedrooms and uh, we were sleeping peacefully in our rooms. I, I can't imagine what my parents were going through. Um, in terms of my mum's relative, I don't have, uh, other than it be f being extremely upsetting, sad, um, I didn't have a personal connection with that relative. I didn't know them. But it's just an example of, you know, um, an innocent Palestinian getting killed, most likely uh, because of mistaken identity. Uh, hey, and subhanAllah, that's actually the reality of the day-to-day -day for these people in Palestine, people that have been dealing with this ever since they were born. They were just born into turmoil, subhanAllah, when they talk about the kids in Gaza. You know what I mean? Like all of them, like 50% of them are children. Yeah. 50 plus percent of them are children. That's heartbreaking, man. Um, there's videos there's videos that I watch and I'm not a crier. I'm, I'm actually a tough guy. I like to think I'm a tough guy. I deal with a lot. I've got, I've got a high threshold of what really affects me. And these videos that have been coming out um, straight from Gaza have, have broken my heart. Um, I've watched my wife cry and break down and the only thing I can say to her is stop watching it because I can see what it's doing to her. I'm telling her to stop watching it but the reality is she doesn't need to stop watching it. They need to stop killing all these innocent women and children and men and, and stop using the fact that their human shields um, and Hamas are hiding behind them. At the end of the day, an innocent is an innocent. Whether, whether they're Israeli or Palestinian, you know, at the end of the day, killings are not justified and, and, and they don't bring peace at all. Yeah. Collective punishment is, is, is not the way to end the war or to make any, side, any country happy with what's going on. Yeah, um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty heartbreaking. And um, I, I think what people don't see is they're killing people's mothers, people's fathers, people's children. So naturally, these people now are going to go and join a resistant group and they're going to go fight for freedom. 
they're going to go fight for vengeance and fight for their loved ones, you know. Um, it's not my place to say whether that's right or wrong, but that's what's natural. When your loved one is taken away from you um, indiscriminately in cold blood, um, you know, you, d you don't just cower and hide. I know if someone came and, you know, killed my family, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to, you know. Bro, but we see examples of this in Hollywood. You see a number of examples and you see how they portray these people as heroes. Like, for example, like John Wick is... Come on, bro. Like, John Wick in, in himself, like, he got... He, like, someone killed his dog and his wife or whatever it was. And then he just goes on a killing spree to get vengeance on, you know, for his family that got murdered. And, you know, everyone's like, naturally, okay, yeah, no problem. This guy's a hero in this situation because he's getting vengeance against the bad people, against the people who who done him wrong. And then subhanAllah, how we flip the script, and this guy's not an American guy anymore. He's not a white person, <laughs> as, as, as people like to, you know, uh, like make this person look like this heroine. He always has to be a white guy. He, he has a justified cause to be seeking vengeance. But when it comes to anybody who's Arab or Muslim or, or ethnic in general, for example, even the African-Americans, their struggle, they're always automatically seen as the bad guy for, for, for retaliating or if not reacting for what's oppression, bro? Like it, it, it's oppression. Like if <laughs> we if if we take this away um, from the Palestine conflict for a second, what you said reminded me of a story. Um, it's probably about been about seven eight years now, um, and I was at my friend's house, uh, th and they're a Greek family, <clears throat> and before meeting me, their mum thought all Arabs and Muslims are terrorists. And, you know, I had a conversation with her and we started going through the reasons why. And truth be told, the narrative that's been playing out um, in the media for years, even before we were born, shows um, Arabs and Muslims, obviously not all of us, but as being extremists, being terrorists, loving violence, wanting to incite hatred and harm on others. And it's a seed that's been planted and ingrained in people's heads. But I asked her a question. I said, do you think that there are any Greek terrorists? And she said, no. I said, are you sure? She said, yes. So I said, let me Google something for you. And I went on Google and I wrote um, Greek mass killings. And there was a Greek guy that went into a hotel with a bomb and, you know, blew up the hotel, killed hundreds of people. I said... Is he a terrorist? She said, no. I said, why? She said, because he's not Muslim. And to me, that was a light bulb moment where I thought, this is a seed that, the seed that has been planted in the heads of people all over the world to make people think that it's only a terrorist attack when it's committed by a Muslim person. Yeah. And, and to be honest, it's really sad. And I think that that's what the battle needs to be. The battle needs to be against Islamophobia and to actually educate the wider and the greater public that as Muslims, we actually don't want killing. And it's something that I've been advocating really, really loudly, really publicly, that it's not about killing, it's not about uh, revenge, it's not about vengeance. I just want peace. I don't want to wake up in the morning and the first thing I do is go on to um, aljazeera.com and read that uh, 200 children were killed in a hospital. I don't want to get an email from Olive Kids that tells me the orphanage that, you know, 
we all sponsored and helped build has been blown up, blown to pieces, and they don't know whether the orphans are killed or not, and they'll provide us further information. Um, it's, it's, yeah, pretty, pretty hectic. It's heartbreaking. And when I sit there and think about, like, the story you told us just off camera about obviously the orphanage that had been attacked, like, what, like what's the reason? Like, what, what, <laughs> what did a bunch of parentless kids do to... Israeli government what's, what's well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure the narrative will be that Hamas were using them as human shields um, it's that's that's the answer to everything that's that's why hospitals been blown up that's why refugee camps are being attacked that's why uh, a convoys of cars fleeing from south to north east to west are being bombed because Hamas somehow are everywhere the funny thing is the people who accept this narrative they're already dormant Islamophobes. So we were having a conversation with Dr. Yassin Morsi in the last podcast and he was speaking to us a little bit about just the psychology of Islamophobia and how it works. And he says, like, for the longest time, yeah, obviously we haven't been in the spotlight. It's Muslims and Islam hasn't been in the spotlight for a long time. So people have just been going about <coughs> their day-to-day lives and pretending or tolerating the Muslims that are around them because they don't really have an excuse to hate or to put their finger, point their finger at the, the Muslims and the Arabs, say you, you the reason, you're the reason, you know. And then now all of a sudden they found their their their, their cause, they found their cause, Subhanallah. And when we, we when we look at it for what it is, it's them oppressing a, a a a group of humans. They have the ability to turn off the gas, the water, the electricity, to to withhold food, to bomb, on mass a bunch of people, and their only excuse, Subhanallah. And everyone knows it's bullshit. Yeah, this is what's funny. Everyone knows it's bullshit. Yeah, the only excuse is oh, Hamas is using human shields. Okay, and I think Bassem Yusuf used this example perfectly. Like, say we knew that one guy was inside the Empire State Building. We blowing up the whole building? No. What's the difference? I had this conversation with someone the other day. <clears throat> I've got a I've got a good Jewish friend of mine, and he um he came to my office, and uh, it's it's been a little bit uh, tense the last couple of weeks because. I haven't known uh, who's with me and who's against me, and I'm sure we'll get into into, into the events of that um, soon. But he came to my office and he said, Hash, I want to I draw something out for you. So I gave him a paper and a pen, and he said, this is Hash, and this is Gaza. He said, there's a building here, and they've got 30 missiles, and they're shooting missiles. He said, at you and your family. He said, how many missiles are you going to take before you say, we need to go and stop that person? I said, you're asking the wrong question. The question is, who's shooting the missile and how do I get them? So automatically there's a seed planted in their heads through the propaganda that they see that says that they're killing all these people as collateral damage to protect the greater Israeli people, which isn't the truth. And he actually showed me some of the propaganda that they see and we, we we sat there having a look at each other's phones and having a look at the different feeds and it was it was really interesting the the stuff that they see is is um is pretty disgusting like uh one of the boys that we've all seen uh in a, in a video that went viral that got blown to pieces you know um he showed me a video where their propaganda machine showed the boy healthy and playing and called it uh pallywood you know saying that um the, the, that it's fake there's nothing fake about what's happening in Gaza. There's nothing fake about the hundreds and, and the thousands 
of Palestinians being killed in cold blood every day. Um, yeah, I've seen that excuse. There was that yeah. one lady that did, yeah, subhanAllah, their, their thing is just denial. You have to believe me. Don't believe them, they're terrorists. Yeah. Believe me, who's openly killing thousands of people. Well, what, what I realised is though, with, with Zionists and some Jewish people and actually some of the greater population, they, they don't differentiate between someone that is pro-Hamas and someone that is pro-peace. Both of those people are equally anti-Semitic, according to them. Mm-hmm. When, when that's not the case, it's, it's either if, if, if you're not with us, then you're against us. Mm-hmm. You can't be in the middle calling for peace. <coughs> and that's actually exactly where I am. I'm in the middle calling for peace because at the end of the day, I'm, I'm just sick of the killing. I'm sick of going to a protest every few years protesting for innocent lives being taken. I'm sick of um, being out there advocating for people to have basic human rights, to be able to drink and eat what they want and travel where they want and do what they want, you know, and not live in fear that they're going to wake up and their parents or their children are going to be dead. That's what I advocate for. And when I advocate for that, I'm anti-Semitic. Why is that anti-Semitic? Is it anti-Semitic because in your mind it's um, the Palestinians or you? And if that's the case, then you're the problem. Because at the end of the day, I'm calling for coexistence and you're calling for Palestinians to be dead. You might not be saying it, but you are saying it by saying that me advocating peace is anti-Semitic. It's like the slogan, from the river to the sea, uh, Palestine will be free. That's been getting a lot of uh, backlash. The Jewish people, or not the Jewish people, um, Maybe the yeah the Zionists or um, just a lot of individuals online are saying this slogan when they're chanting it, it's saying that they want the entire land to be Palestine, yeah. all Jews to be. Um, so that's that's been yeah, leave Palestine. So that's that's actually been um, the core of where I've been getting attacked. So if you've seen, for example, the Daily Mail and the Herald Sun and uh, JY the Jewish newspapers. Um, they're claiming that I'm anti-Semitic because when I'm at the rallies, I'm chanting from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. You know, um, They're trying to reverse engineer that narrative and what it actually means because at the end of the day, we need to be doing something wrong because we are the problem, right? We're the problem and when we chant that, um, what we actually mean is from the Jordanian River, to the Mediterranean Sea, Palestinians will be free. And what we mean by that, and I know a lot of people, and they chant with me, right? And I've been using this same chant for the last 20 years, for every rally I've attended. And what we mean by that is that Palestinians will be free to roam around the land. They'll be given their basic human rights. They'll be able to work and not um, and, and not be taken advantage um, of as cheap labor. They'll they won't have a fence that divides them like animals. They won't be restricted in in what's considered the world's largest um, open camp prison. You know, Gaza is half the size of Canberra with two point three million people. It's the densest place on earth. Um, there is nothing wrong with that chant, and just like. They're taking away our land. They're trying to take away our speech. And we need to fight back against that. And we need to say, no, this is ours. It's not yours. And it will stay ours. 
And that's a line that I've been using for 20 years and I'm going to use it for the next 20 years if I have to and you're not going to stop me. You're not going to change the meaning of what that chant means to me because it's mine. And it's what I used to call for freedom. Mm. And if freedom means death to you, then that's your problem, that's not mine. Yeah. It's like um, I, I was in the West Bank in January. So I travelled to Palestine, I was visiting some family there and right um, next to the wall, there's the Waldorf Hotel. What's that famous artist that no one knows? Banksy. Banksy. So Banksy went to Palestine and um, <coughs> we went to Palestine. He went and traveled all around and he saw the situation. And because of that, he built the Waldorf Hotel. Very famous place. As soon as you walk in, they either say, we'll take your phone or no photos. Not that any photos. And it's literally his artwork or pieces describing what's going on in Palestine with its history. And it was one of the most surreal things I've ever experienced, like walking around... It was showing um, real life examples of grenades that they throw, guns. There was one room where you walk in and they it's an empty room and they say, answer the phone. Every minute it rings, I picked up the phone. It's a, it's a recorded IDF message. Hello, sir. Um, you have five minutes and we're um, to evacuate your house or we're going to bomb it. And then you literally get that call. And the question in front of you is like, how would you react to this? What would you grab? And there was a picture of like a briefcase of what people normally grab, which is like photos and stuff like that. And when I was there, they have different posters you can buy. And as you know, in Palestine, you can't have the flag or you go to your prison. Like they grab you if you walk around with the flag. So there's different symbols the Palestinian people used to have to show their um, support. And there was even a stage in the West Bank where you weren't allowed to eat watermelons in public. What's that? Because the colours... The same as the Palestinian colours. Oh, wow. So when you walk around the Waldorf Hotel, there's all these pictures of watermelons. Yeah. You know, yeah, wow. and people used to have t-shirts. People used to walk the streets with watermelons. Just mm. walking, and then they're like, what is it? And it's literally their way of having the colour. And it's like, it was so smart to see it, but then there was just all these po- uh, watermelon posters at the hotel. And I'm like, there's just so many different ways that the IDF are scared and the Palestinian have to find ways to show each other, no, we stand together. And it's one of those things where... The whenever I speak, when I speak with my Palestinian family, there they're like the Jews are the Jews living in Israel. I just they're so scared of a six year old with a rock because you know this guy will just stand and be like, I don't mind dying. Like, how can you not fear a, a group of people that aren't scared of death? Yeah, it's like the Israelis are, uh, in Israel are scared of losing their home settlements. You know, the, if the UN come in, and it's like this idea that you can just come. And be like, take my life. I'm, I'm happy to pass away here, but I'm not leaving this land. Yeah. Subhanallah, the, the resilience and the faith um, instilled in the, in the Palestinian heart uh, for the people of Palestine, it's, I've never seen that in my life. I've never seen it around the, I've never seen it around the world, you know. There was, there's a recording that was on Al Jazeera, um, a very clear recording. You can, you can go access it publicly and... Uh, the apartment blocks being bombed and you can hear the the mum tell their daughters don't be scared it's okay you know and then uh 10 seconds later boom they're gone mm. um subhanallah the the resilience and the strength and the faith in their hearts that's what makes them different that's what makes us different and the tide is turning and the world is seeing and the power of social media will not let the Palestinian deaths die in vain. Um, you know, it's 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 pretty amazing to mm-hmm. see. 
I love that watermelon story. Yeah. Man, I'm alive, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll send you some examples <laughs> yeah. of that. It was so crazy because I wanted to buy like a watermelon I can, poster. I, I, I can think of it. I, I can picture in my mind the black seeds and yeah. you know the 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 red uh, the red fruit with the green skin. Yeah, it's white as well. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty pretty amazing. Subhanallah. Did you see the soccer player? <coughs> Which one for Mainz? Yeah, in Germany. Germany. Yeah, just showed yeah, me he before. just gave up his thing. There was a um, soccer player who plays for Mainz, a Muslim Al Ghazi. Al Ghazi. Um, <laughs> He stood up for Palestine, he put some support and because of that they didn't allow him to play for the last couple of weeks and they brought him back in the team and they said you have to make a public apology. He goes no and they um, delisted him. Yeah. It's like in Germany and it's like... It's going to happen more often now. Because obviously Germany have no choice but to side with... Uh, is it mainly Germany or is it what's it called? France? No, no, Germany. Germany but then yeah. there's the another guy there's playing for Nice. Yes. Yeah. It's probably inevitable that his contract will yeah. be terminated. And it was interesting. Um, did you watch Basim Youssef with uh, Pierce Morgan, or you don't watch Pierce Morgan? No, I've I've uh, I've never watched Pierce Morgan. I, that that guy doesn't interest me. He's just full of shit. Um, he, <laughs> he 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 swings whatever way is popular at the time. Um, but I, I watched the first interview. Actually, I loved it. I I loved um, I loved the way that uh, Basim Youssef used their strategy um, on them which is reverse engineering the situation. And he was able to project um, the way we feel and the way we see things back onto the the general public. And I think it, I think it was awesome the way he did it. Yeah. Um, the latest interview, I've, I've gone halfway through it. Yeah, because yeah. he said yeah. one point, which I, obviously I'm not the most well-versed on the Palestinian um, conflict. I do We do our best. We try to interview people, watch as much as we can. But it was interesting when he put it as um, like... 1915, Jerusalem gets taken over by England or Britain and Balfour Declaration, 1917, they write A, B and C, which, you know, uh, Russia, France, Britain, who gets what? They stayed there for 30 years after World War II. Europe's having World War II. Like 6 million Jews pass away. So what are they like? Okay, we need to, we need to find the homeland for them. In 1947, they said, it's like this is, it was literally World War II, a European problem. Like we have too many, we have all these Jews that are spread out, six million of them got killed. A European problem, what should we do? We'll dump it on the Arabs. And then a couple years later, we'll leave because it's too confusing. It's like now we look at the last 75 years and we say, Arab problem, why can't the Palestinians just accept the Jews that are taking, like when they wrote the land, there's like 1.5 million Palestinians and a couple hundred thousand Jews and they got 52% of the land. And then it's like, why can't the Arabs accept it? It's like, it's literally a European problem that got pushed onto the Arabs. Yeah, That's what World War II was. Six million of them killed. European issue. You guys handle it. Then when we can't handle it because this is our land, oh, the Arabs are not accepting of the Jews. You know, There's, there's, there's definitely a greater agenda. I think, I think what you're saying is, is the simple understanding of what it is. I think be, behind the scenes and behind what we, what we know... There's, it's always been to serve a greater purpose by setting up the state of Israel, and mind you, personally, I've actually got no issue with um, the state of Israel being there. And the reason being is because they're there now, and I'm I'm all about mm-hmm. solutions and not problems, and that's the way I run my business as well. Um, what's the solution? Because we can sit there and probe a problem for as long as we can, but it doesn't provide any solutions to the way forward mm. the israelis aren't going anywhere 
You can't go back to and the, the 40s. Uh, yeah, correct. Yeah. The Israelis aren't going anywhere, and that's the truth. You know, it's it might be a hard truth to swallow, but they're not going anywhere. So the question becomes, what is the solution? How do we provide safety to our brothers and sisters in the region, and how do we unify ourselves as Palestinian, but also as Muslims and an Ummah and other religions and say, this is how we're going to achieve our own prosperity, our own security and our way forward. Because at the end of the day, we're all going to have our own opinions about what the problem is. And we're all going to say, this is what it should be. It needs to go back to the borders in the 40s. But it's not. And, and, if, and if we say it is, we're lying to ourselves and we're lying to each other and then we actually become a part of the problem, unfortunately. Mm. You, you know, know, it makes me laugh, subhanAllah, is I was watching a video of a bunch of orphans in Palestine and they were asking, what do you want? And subhanAllah, this, it just it shows people, it should show people at least, some people just say whatever they want. Like you Now they talk about denying history and telling people that it doesn't exist but anyways there was four maybe a bunch of Palestinian orphans and they were asking them what do you want what do you miss what do you want a lot of them were like I miss my father I miss my brother I want to taste food I want to taste sugar you know and subhanAllah if you if you look at that video for what it is subhanAllah it outlines their their number one prerogative they, they, they don't want death of the Jews as they like to put forward yeah subhanAllah they, they tried to say, if we let these guys out now, you know, like when you're just yeah. coming back to from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. That doesn't necessarily incur everybody's destruction because these kids don't want destruction. They just want to live in peace. Correct. Mm. They don't. But, 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 in, but in saying that, um, I, I also want to make it very clear that as long as the Palestinians don't have their basic human rights and they don't have their own freedom and they don't have... Um, their their own ability to make their own choices, then there will be no peace, and that's the truth. And when I talk about a solution, um, first and foremost, from the river to the sea, Palestine needs to be free, um, and they need to be able to coexist as equals. Right at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. Mm. Um, I'd like to touch on now, maybe we can move on to what's happening here in Melbourne. Obviously, you um, run Burgatory, yeah. and you've had some recent... Um, backlash? Yeah, we can use that word. Yeah, It depends on how you want to define it. Um, but recent like backlash just because of your support. You know, your, your personal brand and your personal image, being a Palestinian, you know, wanting to show support, going to the rallies, has now affected your business. How does that... Um, how big of an impact does it have on your business? Yes, yeah, so I'll give you a bit of a backstory to that to that situation. Um, as as a proud Palestinian man, I've been attending these rallies for the last twenty years, calling for the freedom and security of Palestinians and Palestine. Two weeks ago, I attended um, the rally uh, in the Melbourne CBD, and. I did what I always do. I, I, I led the chance, you know. And there was a video of me that was going around. And in that video, I was chanting, From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Uh, Gaza, Gaza, don't you cry. Palestine will never die. 
Shame, shame, USA. How many kids have you killed today? So that video um, ended up going uh, viral around the, the, the Jewish community. And it also uh, reached some prominent people in the Jewish community. And I started receiving um, uh, quite a bit of backlash about two weeks ago now. And I was being called uh, a terrorist. I was being called a terrorist sympathiser. I was being called a murderer. I was being told that I advocate for murder. I was being told that I'm chanting for the death of Israel. I was told that I was chanting, gas the Jews. Um, you know, those words never came out of my mouth. I've never been an anti-Semitic person. At the end of the day, I don't really care who you are, what you are, as long as we've got mutual respect um, between one another. So that video started going around and it was more of just a, a, a video of hash going around. And I was getting a lot of, uh, a lot of pressure to disavow my comments, to apologise to the Jewish community. And I, and I always had the same response. I said, actually, even better, I'm going to read you one of my responses. And can I also ask, do you wear a Burgatory t-shirt when you go? No. I was going to say, like people that, Within the community, who actually bring it up as at the, at a publicity yeah. stunt? Yeah, yeah, because that would be different. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would never mix my business with what I do personally. At the end of the day, you know, I've got a large business, we've got seven hundred staff, uh, we've got different stakeholders in the business. I would never, um, I would never mix what I do personally with my business. But I really want to read this message to you guys, which, um, which explains the position that I'm in. Um, so I got a message saying, I saw your note and sorry for the loss. The deaths of those two children is heartbreaking. As you know, I'm Jewish, but I like to think I'm even-handed on what's going on. And while the actions of Hamas were beyond vile, there were murderous acts of killers and terrorists. I'm also devastated for deaths of innocent Palestinians. I'm not going to comment on fault. Your comments at the rally when you were chanting from the river to the sea are incredibly offensive. They are stating unequivocally that you support the destruction of Israel and by implication death of Jewish people. It's possible you were shouting something that you weren't aware the meaning of, or, or not, I'm not sure. I would strongly suggest you unequivocally apologise for the comments and note you had no idea what they meant, or you can stand by them, but actions have consequences. And then I wrote, yeah, basically. I, I wrote I'd like to think you know me better than that by now. I have a lot of Jewish friends, with you being one of them. There were at least 10,000 people of the Jewish faith at the protest chanting the same line. The chant is simply a call for freedom of Palestinians and not the destruction or death of anyone. I will stand by the chant with the intended meaning I hold behind it. I will not let you or anyone take that away from me. If you choose to interpret it in a way that it wasn't intended, then that's on you. Oh. So that's that's an example of the sort of backlash that I received. Um from from these prominent people, and I I, I don't want to single them out or name them out, but uh, they're quite high up in the community, both in the business world and the Jewish community. Um, I had an Australian senator call me and say, "If you don't apologise to the community and stop attending the rallies, we'll do everything in our power to destroy your business." You know, um, oh, I've 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 actually got that recorded, and um, yeah. It's so, so, so I've got that <laughs> recorded, uh, which which is really good. But 
that all started um, as attacks against Tash. And I took that. Did I feel pressure? Yeah, I did. And um, I thought to myself, you know what? It is what it is. I'm standing by um, a cause that I believe in. Um, I'm standing by the people I believe in. And I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm calling for peace. Can you imagine me being a Palestinian man having 38 family members that have passed away since October 7th and two orphans that I sponsor, age seven and nine, a boy and a girl, killed. And can you imagine I didn't attend those protests and rallies? I would be a coward. And I'm not that. I'm not a coward. I would rather lose everything I've got than be someone that hides in the shadows of regret. <clears throat> and um, so back to, back to the situation, it was a personal situation. And then uh, last week this video uh, ended up going around and got to the Daily Mail. And I remember at 8.45 in the morning, I woke up one morning and I saw on Instagram the chief of staff of the Daily Mail sent me an Instagram uh, follow request. And then uh, I saw that he was stalking me on LinkedIn. So I sent my family a message on WhatsApp. I said, today's going to be a shit day. The Daily Mail is going to write an article about me. Um, they said, you don't know that, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, at 10.45, I got an email from the Daily Mail asking me for comment. Um, I didn't respond to that because at the end of the day, I'm not I'm not going to give them more content to write more shit about me because as we all know, no matter what I say, it's going to get twisted. Definitely. Um, and, they, and their story was about a letter that I released um, to the Jewish community. And, and that letter explained um, my stance, where I stand. I acknowledged the deaths and suffering of innocent civilians on October the 7th, but I also spoke about the last 75 years and the suffering of the Palestinians. And I explained in that letter what from the river to the sea meant to me. You know, And it's, it's really easy for me to stop chanting from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. But like I told you earlier, I will not let them take that speech away from me because that belongs to me, that belongs to us and it's ours and they've taken enough from us and I will not let them take that. So when those um, when those articles came out in the Daily Mail and the Herald Sun, uh, the titles were um, big time CEO of Burgatory, anti-Semitic, blah, 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 blah. So now they've tied my brand into this, you know, and there's... There's been some comments of people saying, why are, you, why are you involving your business in in something that isn't related to your business? And, and my comment is, I didn't involve my business, the media did. And now that they've involved my business, I'm going to make it clear exactly where my business stands and what our values are as a business. Um, you know, but subhanAllah, the backlash hasn't only been um, from some people in the Jewish community. And, and this is probably what hurts the most. I've had backlash from people in the Muslim community and they call this a publicity stunt. Um, they say that I'm seeking attention, that I'm trying to promote my brand and leverage off, off um, what's happening. But to those people I say, why would I want to put myself in a position where my staff are receiving death threats where I'm receiving death threats, where we're getting uh, negative reviews across all our social media platforms, um, where some of my stores went from doing $3,000 a day to $100 a day. 
what sort of publicity stunt is that? And and the reason it makes me so sad is because it actually shows you what the problem is. And the problem is that we do not stand together. And that's what I really respect about the Jewish community. They stand together, they support each other, and they're there for one another, right? Why do we have to put each other down? Why do we have to accuse each other of seeking attention? Why don't we tell the community, continue your support, let's unify because we're stronger together. And that's, and that's where we really fail as a people. We fail because we were able to be divided and conquered. And forget the Middle East, let's talk about Australia. Look at all the people burning each other's shops down. They're all Arabs. They're Arabs burning Arab shops down. Why? Why aren't we supporting one another? And that's my problem. I shouldn't be getting criticised in times of hardship because it has been hard. It has been difficult. I've had sleepless nights because not just my personal brand has been attacked. A brand that I've built from the ground up that I've put my blood, sweat and tears in is also getting criticised. It's being boycotted. Subhanallah, you... I think one thing that we spoke about earlier was the fact that you don't have you don't have a fear of losing it because you've been you've built it from nothing. And that's and that's and that's um and that's something that's re- that's really strong and really valuable. So with all these threats um of being boycotted and all these threats of not having the support of the some prominent Jewish people that I was friends with that have now turned against me, I don't have the fear of losing what I've built. For one of two reasons. Number one, I built it myself and I didn't rely on anyone. And number two, I've got faith and conviction in my heart. And I know that if I lose everything, then it was written for me. And I'll build again. So at the end of the day, I don't care about anyone's threats because I didn't come from money. I didn't come from wealth. I built myself by myself, by the grace of God. Yeah. And you can't take that away from me. That the amazing and I just quoted, I think it was Hadith, Hadith yeah. where um, it's uh, amazing are the affairs of the believer, because when something is afflicted upon him, a trial is afflicted upon him, it's good, and if something of uh, of, of blessing is given to him, it's also yeah. good. So regardless of the situation, I'll I'll give you I'll give you an example, Subhanallah, of how our community um, struggles to unify. Earlier this year, I was the uh, biggest sponsor at the at the Eid show, and the organizer of the Eid show came to me and said, "We don't have many sponsors this year. Where we we really need a major sponsor for this event, and you know these are the purposes that it serves for the Muslim community to bring them together after COVID, blah 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 blah, um, and you know it it was a quite a, quite an expensive spon- sponsorship. It was probably the biggest sponsorship." Um, I've, I've ever uh, been a part of so we sponsored this event we put our truck at the at the Eid show and then um, someone came up and they ordered 15 burgers then they came back and said can we have a refund and I said why they said because you support the shaitan and I said how do I support the shaitan they said, look at your logo. It has a devil's tail. I said, have you met the devil? And he said, no. I said, so how do you know that that's a devil's tail? I said, 
what you portray the devil is looking at is what the Western media have told you that the devil looks like. I said, because in my mind, that's not a devil's tail. It's a tail and it's red. And um, subhanAllah, he wanted a refund. And I told him I wasn't going to give him a refund, but I'll go donate his money at Human Appeal. And, and I did that. But when I watched him walk off, he went and bought pizzas from a non-Muslim. We're proudly Australia's largest halal gourmet burger chain. And we've and at the end of the day, we've received a lot of criticism for that. And subhanAllah, the people that try to bring you down are your own people. And that breaks my heart because everything I do with um, the clearest of consciences, uh, with the clearest conscience is... I try to give back to the community over and over and over again and people constantly try to bring me down from our community. Okay. So if I, if I can send a message out there to our people, it's we need to unify, we need to become one, we need to support one another. If one of us wins, we all win. And that's something that the Jewish community really do understand and that's something they do really well. Mm. They unify and rally behind one another and support one another and... You you can you can see you can see them you can see their success around the world. We would be just as just as successful, if not more, if we were able to unify and work together and leverage off each other. We we don't need to be trying to take each other down. Think about it. They have fifteen million Jews around the world, Se- or seven million in Israel, seven million in America, and a couple hundred thousand in different places, and we have one point eight. Uh, billion Muslims And you think about power and control around the world 15 million compared to 1.8 It's it's a joke of the numbers But they still have the power, the control Because they support 100%. one another Yeah, And us Muslims, like for example I know with businesses, my parents run a business um, It's like Muslims would rather go And save $2 somewhere else At a non-Muslim than go to a Muslim guy you know, it's yeah. like we just, a lot of times it's like looking for a cheaper sale or they'll just look for reasons to not go to the Muslim. And obviously it's just, it's a flaw in our community yeah. that obviously inshallah now through this, like uh, I know there's a lot of Instagram pages that are saying boycott <coughs> these brands and support these brands. Inshallah this can be a means for us to uh, be intentional with where our money goes. T- talking about that boycotting, I think that, I think that another message I want to send out there is don't boycott these brands for two weeks, three weeks or a month permanently boycott them because they're sponsoring real terror and they're sponsoring the deaths of our brothers and sisters overseas. At the end of the day, the only difference that we can make from here is t- is to unify, to become one <coughs> and to support each other. And I don't think this podcast is going to be that call that unifies everyone, but I want it to be a start <coughs> and I want us to actively go out there and try to work with each other. If you see someone talking bad about another Muslim's business or another Arab's business, go and talk to them and be the one that actually shines light on the situation. The situation that I had where where, where we had a, a Muslim brother talking badly about me and about my intentions, you know, we, we, we had another brother that actually went and spoke to him and said, I know this guy personally and what you've written about him is wrong. They are not the facts. You know, and that's just one step, but we should be doing that for everyone because I'm not the only one getting criticized out there. There's so many people getting criticized. There's probably people that criticize you guys for your podcast and say that you guys do it for attention, but you're not doing it for your for attention. You're doing it to bring attention to things that matter. You know, called the Dijel ones. So let's. Yeah, (laughs) these things are inevitable. It's always going to happen. 
To be honest with you, bro, I think uh, our community, one thing that we struggle with the most, and this, bro, this extends to us as well. Like, in general, we have a, a bad case of tall poppy syndrome. Yeah? So we believe that instead of getting better or getting to a place where we all thrive, like, the fact that your flower has grown higher than mine, it means that I'm never going to be able to reach those heights. So I have to cut you down to make myself feel better about where I am. And I think that's... That's something that's intergenerational. I feel like it's it's kind of been harvested within certain communities, and I'm not going to call out names, but you see it. Like, for example, someone sees a, a person do well and they've opened a certain kind of restaurant in a certain area, and then you see another four of the same thing from the people in that same community open the same restaurant in that area, basically cannibalizing their own people. And <laughs> you sit there and you go, like, why? What, what was the point? Like... What's the well, what happens is then everybody ends up sinking. Hundred percent. You know what I mean? Like, there's no common and, sense. And, and and to continue on your example, if you see someone opening up, for example, a burger shop in one area and it does well, that means that food does well there. So go and open up a pizza shop next to them, and then next to the pizza shop, go and open a noodle shop, and next to the noodle shop, go open up a kebab shop, and turn that area into an area where it's a f it's it's a food hub. Rather than trying to cut each other down, like what you said, definitely. But we actively need to work as leaders out there to educate people that the way to get ahead isn't by chopping down other people. The way to get ahead is to work together, and that's actually my philosophy in business. I'm a collaborator. I love collaborating with smaller businesses, larger businesses. I love working with people and giving people opportunities because that's that's the only sustainable way to grow. Yeah, bro. Like I'll give you an example. <coughs> um. So when, when did you start making, when did Burgatory actually open? When was the first one? Yeah, so um, since you've asked me that question now, I'll take you back, <laughs> I'll take you, I'll take you back to the yeah. beginning. So I, I actually grew up in Qatar. Um, you know, ca I came to Australia when I was two, uh, moved to Qatar um, uh, some, some years later. Um, my mum sent me there to live with my dad because she couldn't handle me. I was a bit of a troublemaker. And then when I was in Qatar, I was, uh, I was an even bigger troublemaker. You know, I got... I got into fights f with uh, Saddam Hussein's nephews, for example, and um, you know, I, I don't think anyone can come on your show and say that they had a fight at school with Saddam Hussein's nephews. But um, you know, uh, I was I was a big troublemaker, so my parents ended up putting me in a military academy called Qatar Leadership Academy, and in that academy, I was uh, I was the only foreigner there, and you know, we had people from the royal family. For example, one of the princes was actually living with me here in Melbourne while he was studying RMIT. Um, the CEO of Qatar Airways, his son was in my class. You know, it was it was really cool. We travelled around the world doing military training and academics. And then um, when I was 17, I tricked my parents. I told them I wanted to come to Australia to visit my auntie. And when I came here, I refused to leave. Um, what I liked it about <laughs> uh, well, what I liked about it here is the opportunity. And it wasn't as conservative. You know, being in an all-boys military academy, it was, it was a bit boring. You come here and, you know, you got beautiful sights. You got beautiful sights and you got a bit of freedom. And um, uh, I got my first job at McDonald's. And um, from McDonald's, I then got a job at Luna Park. And I started my first business when I was 17 called Electronics on the Move. And I was importing um, uh, electronics and doing drop shipping from China, Japan. Um, and I was the first person in Australia to bring that portable charger that plugged into the iPhone. 
um, the iPhone 3 back then, I, I think it was. <laughs> and I ended up selling that technology to all phones and all 17 for something like 350000 And I was like, wow, like, I'm rich. But <laughs> <laughs> so then oh. I, I, I ended up um, doing a lot of travelling and uh, blowing a lot of money. And when I was 20, I bought a donut factory called Creamy Crunchy Donuts in Campbellfield. And I was making donuts for uh, uh, BP, Caltex, Espresso Lane, um, and then one day I flew up to Sydney with a box of donuts. I wanted to get the Easy Mart convenience stores to start stocking my donuts. So I was really motivated, woke up early in the morning, fresh uh, baked some fresh donuts and, you know, flew up to Sydney and presented them these donuts. They took a bite. They're like, these are amazing, but we're not going to buy them. Um, but I became <laughs> close friends with the CEO of Easy Mart, um, He'd come over here, I'd host him, I'd go over there, he'd host me. And when I was 23, I actually started, I opened up the first Easy Mart in Melbourne and I started rolling them out. And um, people called me crazy. Our first store was at 323 Swanston Street and the rent there for 50 square metres was about 300000 a year. Um, so people were like, you're crazy, how are you going to make money um, selling chewies and gums and chocolates and drinks and blah, blah, blah. And I really believed in it because I saw what Easy Mart was doing in Sydney. I saw the concept. I believed in the concept. I believed in myself. Um, so I ended up opening this store and, um, mashallah, it did really well. So lesson number one is don't listen to people. If you believe in it, then you do it. Um, don't take advice of people that don't have experience. Um, that business uh, was what pushed me into the next businesses. So... We've got 23 Easy Marts around Melbourne now, but this, uh, the second Easy Mart we opened in 2014 was in Footscray, at Footscray train station. And the reason I'm talking about Footscray is because that's what then got me into food. So at Footscray train station, we opened up an Easy Mart, we were doing really well, and um, the corner across the road went up for lease, and the agent, I knew him back then, he told me that 7-Eleven put in a tender for the lease. And if 7-Eleven if Seven Eleven opened up there, they would have destroyed my business. So I took, the, I put some money in his pocket and um, I, <laughs> I, I took the lease and I, I didn't know what I was going to do. I was thinking, do I open up a kebab shop? Do I open up a pizza shop? Do I open up a burger shop? And I ended up deciding to open up a pizza shop. Um, I went and trained at my mate's pizza shop. He taught me how to make pizza, how to make dough, blah, blah, blah. I built this shop from scratch and I only hired my staff off Gumtree the night before we opened and um, when, when, when we opened, um, we were the most popular pizza shop in Footscray. We had, we had lines of people we were selling slices out of the window and people coming in buying pizzas and it was 100% halal and um, it is still 100% halal, I've still got it. But I was working in there one day and an agent walked in and he said, hey mate, um, we're opening up a new shopping centre in Braybrook and we would love to have your brand in there. And this is when Home Consortium uh, bought out all the masters, if you guys remember masters, um, and they turned them into shopping centres, local shopping centres. So I went and had a look at it, and I said, I'll only open up my shop here if you give me three shops in the centre. So that's where Bean Lab and Burgatory were born. So in that one shopping centre in Braybrook, I opened up Bean Lab, Burgatory and Mipasto. Now... Here's the story with Burgatory that no one knows. So this is exclusive to your podcast. <laughs> um, I didn't actually create Burgatory. And um, most of the people out there think think I did. And it's, it's really interesting because 
the actual journey of what purgatory was and what it is now is is subhanallah it's amazing purgatory was opened up in queue in 2017 by someone that i knew and i used to regularly go there and eat and i loved the burgers they were amazing and i told him that um i had an opportunity to open up a burger shop and i loved his brand and i loved his burgers so what i'll do is i'll give him 30 percent of all three businesses there and i'll pay him one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year to be the ops manager for those three stores so he agreed um, and gave me a license to open up a purgatory in Braybrook. Um, when I opened up those stores, they were killing it. They were doing so well. Um, and we sat down as partners. There was three of us. Um, one was this guy, one was a lawyer and me. And we were looking at our balance sheet and we were in debt. And me and the lawyer looked at each other. We said, these shops have been killing it. Why are they in debt? And then... Uh, the guy that was managing had no question, had no answers. <clears throat> so we grabbed all the invoices, um, uh, all, all the MyOB files, and gave it to a forensic accountant. He ended up uh, noticing that there was about $25,000 missing out of the accounts. So did some investigations, um, spoke to some of the staff, and it turned out that he was buying Coke using the money from the till. And what gets worse than that is he was doing coke in the restaurant with our 17-year-old staff members. So I thought you meant coke as in No, no. It took me a while to... Yeah, no, he was, he, was, he, was, he was buying cocaine using money from the till. And um, things really started spiralling out of control. They went downhill, you know. When, when there's a toxic environment, it radiates through your staff which radiates into your customers so from three businesses that were doing really well now the businesses were doing really shit and um we banned him from coming to the stores until we came to a resolution then one of the 17 year old girl mums came into the shop and yelling screaming you guys are giving uh drugs to my daughter blah blah i'm going to the police i said i encourage you to go to the police I said, I've got no issues with you going to the police because what happened with your daughter is wrong. So from there, we ended up closing all three shops and um, we we bought uh, we bought uh, the original Burgatory guy out and then the lawyer said, Hash, food's not for me. Um, I went out. At this stage, we were about 150 grand in debt. He wanted to sell. Um, we didn't have that ops manager anymore. And I was like, what am I going to do? So I asked the lawyer, I said, how much do you want? He said, I want 150 grand. And, you know, till, till today, I actually thank him. Um, he's an amazing guy. He said, I'll, um, I'll give you a year to pay me. So I was paying him off every week for one year. And um, I rehired a whole new team uh, for all three shops. And we relaunched with a huge launch, um, changed what the brand was. Uh, and what they stood for and they started doing amazing and took about a year um, but they started doing amazing again and uh, Burgatory originally wasn't a halal brand you know um, it had alcohol it had bacon and I think every, the way everything worked out it worked out for the better because um, we were able to completely convert it to a halal brand and if you have a look at the timeline of Burgatory and from where it was to what it is it used to be have a lot more biblical references and evil references and some people don't actually understand that 
um, I've actually cleaned up the brand rather than um, uh, so being a devil. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've actually cleaned up the brand, got rid of alcohol, got rid of bacon. We became Australia's largest halal gourmet burger chain. Um, you know, uh, we support halal. Uh, sorry, we support Muslim businesses when from where we buy our raw goods and produce and all that sort of stuff. So we've been able to, through the business, pump a lot more money back into the Muslim communities, um, which is which has been really good. But that's an interesting fact that not uh, that pretty much no one knows that I actually didn't start Burgatory. It's crazy. But 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 I did create Burgatory for what it is today. Mm. Bro, just thinking about it now, yeah. We're talking about the, the, the community <coughs> feeding off of one another instead of actually trying to cut each other out. SubhanAllah, when you do well, for example, you require fruit and veg. I know what it's like because my old man used to deliver fruit and vegetables for the longest time. So if you benefit off of becoming something great, my old man benefits. And if my old man purchases his fruit and veg from a, a farmer who's a Muslim or who's an Arab or whatever it is, or, or, or just in general, like uh, somebody who's a part of the community, they benefit. And subhanAllah, when the money circulates in the community, bro, we, we're all winning, basically. That's the power of unity. And that's what the Jewish people do really well. Mm. And that's why I kept referring to it before, because at the end of the day, <coughs> when we build a network and we support one another, we're actually building each other. And we're building each other's families and each other's networks, and we're all growing together. At the end of the day, no matter what position I'm at in life, I'm not better than you. Because when we die, we end up in one place. We end up in the ground. And we take nothing with us except our deeds. So why are we being greedy? Why are we trying to chop each other down? Why aren't we supporting each other? How much money do you need? And that's the truth. How much money do you need? You just, you just need to be comfortable. You need to be... A, when I go, I want people to talk about me and say he did good for our community. I don't want him to say he was rich. I don't care about money. And, 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 the, and the proof is in the pudding. The proof is what I'm going through right now, I've put everything on the line um, to be true to what I hold close to my heart and my values. Would there ever be a time, and this is a question I ask you, obviously you don't have to answer if you don't want to, but would there ever be a time where you'll step back? Like what's the limit? What, like what's the what's the threshold that you can take when it comes to this smear campaign, it's obviously... Yeah, that's that's <coughs> that's a great question. And I'm going to answer it very, very honestly. I'll never stop and I'll never step back. Because at the end of the day, our brothers and sisters overseas are getting killed indiscriminately. And if they can still hold their heads up high and hold their faith close to their heart, then who am I here? I'm, I'm, I'm no one. What they're going through is a hundred times, if not a thousand times worse than what I'm going through. What, what I'm going through is just a fraction of what they are. And <clears throat> at the end of the day, the power of love and unity is stronger than the power of hate and division. Um, and people can try to bring me down. They can try and try and try, but I don't care. Do you know why? Because I can build myself by myself. But I want to change that line in the future when me and you talk when you ask me why I want my answer to be because of my community because they're my backbone mm. Allah, it's yeah there's, there's depth to it I know, I know I told these boys about it recently I watched this interview and there was a 
Jewish guy and he just he had a he had a ten dollar bill. He had his in America and he goes, See this ten dollar bill? He goes, You will never and he told the interviewer, he goes, You'll never ever see this ten dollar bill for the rest of your life. He goes, if a Jew gets this ten dollar bill, they'll spend it at a Jewish business and the Jewish business will send it another. It's like my hairdresser, Jewish. My supermarket, Jewish. My the restaurants I go to, Jewish. The petrol station I go to, Jewish owned. And it would just keep be, keep being in the Jewish community. I don't, I don't criticize them for that though. It, it's actually an I th- honorable I th- thing. I, th- I, th- I think it's I think it's amazing. It's, it's what we should it, be doing. I think it's amazing that they that they support and promote one another. Someone actually put on one of our posts, and it's still there on Facebook. They wrote. Um, I'm not sure why we're boycotting them because we should never have been supporting them to begin with. Our money should stay in our community. Damn. Yeah. And 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 that and that and that's what's being promoted in 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 their minds and at the end of the day there's nothing wrong with that. I actually respect them for that because they want to be supporting their their community. At the end of the day they've had their hardships too. And that's the truth. We've got our hardships. You know what the difference is? They worked out what they needed to do and we haven't. Yeah. And they became each other's backbone. Mm. Yeah, it's a reflection of our actions, basically thinking about where we spend our money. Only now it's had to take to this point where it's like, why are we spending <coughs> our money on our own community? Of course we're going to boycott now, but then we shouldn't be thinking about these things. We should yeah. just be only spending on, like being more intentional with how we spend our money basically. I think it's not even like the idea now. It's like boycotting. Then it's intentional. It's rather it should just be a normal thing. Exactly. Where it's like you know when people when they want to eat healthy. It's like when you use the word diet, it becomes so much more difficult. Rather just my lifestyle. Yep. And then you don't. Have, it's not it's like a confrontation each time you eat a meal or. It's the exact example I just gave you where where the lady wrote, "Why are we boycotting them? We never should have been supporting them to begin with." Mm. That's 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 the premise, of of um of what it is. To support one another. Have you? Yeah. The idea of the word <coughs> alternatives as well. You shouldn't be there. Like, for example, you know, we talk about uh, instead of going to Macca's, go to Burgatory or go to Burgies or whatever it is, bro. It shouldn't even be a question. You know what I mean? Instead of going to KFC, we got Al bro. Like, instead of going to, <laughs> instead of going to, I don't know, for example, uh, McDonald's, you, you Starbucks. Yeah, idea, bro. Like, yeah. uh, instead of going to Amazon, go to IBC. You know what I mean? Like we we have the opportunities here to actually be able to create not alternatives but more so our, our regulars. You know, a place that we go to consistently. Like you don't have to go to Woolworths and Coles to get fruit and veg. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of fruit and vegetable shops. You know, I tried that when I watched that video. It was the month of August. I know this for sure because my wife and I we said this month is every single dollar is going to go to a Muslim business, and we did. We lasted twenty three days. No. And then we're craving some food Then we ate out <laughs> But the point is like It was actually like Pretty difficult Because there's a Muslim supermarket near us But we for example Buy a certain kind of Milk Or certain kind of bread Certain kind of this And then we had to intentionally Go drive 10 minutes further And we'd go to the Muslim business But then after like A week or two We're like This is actually so difficult to do But it's because it's so We always go to Coles Woolies It's because it's been 20 years of one thing But as soon as you actually Try to do it You start to realise like when you put that money in the business, even if that Muslim becomes more wealthy and they don't spend it um, on donations and stuff like that, you're not sure where that money is going to go. Like you just yeah. have to do your best. Like for example, you support. It's all about your intention. Yeah, even if it's more pricey or it's not as good quality, when you invested in it, it's like you did your duty, and that's what we have to be satisfied with. Yeah. Not when a. We start saying we should buy a burger toy, and some Muslim brother goes, "Oh, he's doing it for." 
You know, word of mouth. It's like that's yeah. not your job. Your job is to go support the Muslim and leave the rest to Allah. Yeah. Because, like, think about it, yeah. If, for example, everybody makes that 10 minute drive, yeah, and you have to go a little bit out of your way, and all you think in the back of your head is convenience now. But if you create a demand, so you got a lot more people going that 10 minutes, there's going to be another one that pops up in five, five minutes away, yeah. even two minutes away. Now that becomes a regular thing. And then because. Because um, businesses and, 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 and in general are created off of demand or off of a solution to a problem that's currently had, that convenience will arise. You know what I mean? That ability to have a business that's two minutes away will end up coming. Mm. Because of us all doing the right thing and supporting or going out of our way that 10 minutes or whatever it is. You know what my neighbor told me yesterday? She was in her driveway. And she's like, hey, I forgot to tell you. She's like, um, at my gym... There's a woman that put up a post saying that you actually live in Caulfield and you're trying to get all these people to support you so that you can um, give the money back to the Jewish Association. <laughs> I said, I said, what did you say? She said, I sent her a video of you with a megaphone in your driveway last week um, screaming free Palestine. <laughs> she said, I told her you're my neighbor. Um Yes, yeah, so it's uh, it's 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 a bizarre world out there. Very very bizarre. Mm. Yeah, I think that's um, it's an interesting thing, and especially the media it changes week by week. Yeah, and it's our job to become more knowledgeable and then spread the right information. Um, maybe as the last thing that we could touch on, it's more about the rallies. Like you said, you're someone who is at the front of the rallies. You're you have the. Uh, I'm not necessarily at the front, but I'm I'm always someone that's chanting. You're chanting, you're being an active voice yeah. and you're there as a presence. There's a lot of people that have different views on the rallies. You know, like, should you go, should you not? Uh, maybe just your view on that because, yeah. you know, you probably know if you've been there for 20 years, the impact it can have. So I want to start by saying that very clearly that calling for peace and being pro-Palestinian isn't being anti-Semitic. It's not calling for the death of Jews and it's not calling for the eradication of Israel. We need to draw a very, very, very clear line there because um, the, the 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 Zionists are trying to take our speech away from us, and they're trying to portray us as calling for death when we're calling for freedom. Freedom doesn't equal death, and if and if that's what it means to you, then you're twisted in the head. That means you're 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 basically uncovering your true intention. Correct. Does that make sense? Yeah. All correct. of the stuff that you've built on. All of your philosophy is built on fear and killing and, and, and grief. So that means that if that doesn't pertain to continue, what happens is we understand now that you need that in order for you to expand. Yeah. The Zionists. That, this is what kills me, yeah? That we're talking about the hostages, for example, the Israeli hostages that were taken by Hamas. And um, they were speaking about how it frustrated the Israeli government to have those ones released without... Does that make sense? Without conflict, without them being the ones to save them, for example. And uh, they were wondering, they were like, hang on a second, like, why is Netanyahu upset at his own people coming back safely? They go, because there's no premise for him to continue his hard-handed approach towards the Palestinians. And obviously, people now, <laughs> we're, we're kind of in an era where people can become informed if they want to be, yeah? yeah. But everyone's, uh, they call it selective outrage. There's a lot of selective outrage out there now. And we can go into this, but I'm not the guy to do it. Obviously, we'll bring someone on to speak about that from a theological standpoint. 
and what it, what what it looks like to actually have hatred for a general population of human beings, and and to utilize that hatred to basically normalize atrocities that are being created. Yeah, you know what I mean. So there's a deeper issue at hand, bro. It's it's it's, it's like in Caulfield they they came and put. Um, posters of the kidnapped hostages all over my shop and slid the posters under the door and when they did that i was thinking to myself like i'm not even at that shop number one number two what do my staff have to do with anything number three what do you want me to do pick up the phone and be like hello hamas release the hostages it's hash what do you want me to do I, did, did i kidnap them do i know the people that kidnapped your hostages like why are you attacking someone that is calling for peace? And that's why we now let's talk about the the rallies and the protests. Like you said, the rallies and the protests are important to me. And like, and, and what you said is, there's different opinions and thoughts about them. Whether you whether you're looking at a traditional viewpoint or a religious viewpoint, there's different opinions out there. My personal opinion is that these protests and rallies are important to highlight the situation. And, and, and the reason being is because there's thousands of people in the CBD, right? There's people that are going shopping at Melbourne Central, there's people in Burke Street Mall, there's people at Flinders Street Station. The CBD is the heart of Melbourne. It's where Melbourne's heart beats. And when we're there and we're making noise and people can see that there's 50,000 people there, their natural mind questions the propaganda that they've been watching on their social media that says all Palestinians are terrorists. They're questioning themselves and they're saying, if all Palestinians are terrorists, then why are there 50,000 people here? Why are there 500,000 people in London? They can't all be terrorist sympathizers, can they? And it opens their eyes and they actually start to look into things and they start to look at, maybe I've been getting fed um, bullshit. Maybe I need to actually have a look at what this conflict is really about. And the protests are important to highlight those things. Where I think people go wrong with these protests and rallies, though, are when people bring flares, when people bring, um, when people bring uh, uh, anti-Semitic signs, because at the end of the day, that doesn't help the cause. Because you got to remember, there's a broader audience watching, and there's a broader audience learning, and we want to show people that we're there protesting for a ceasefire and for peace. Because at the end of the day, there's no point lighting a flare in the middle of the city. If you if you, if you don't want peace and you want violence, then find a way to get into Palestine and go and, and go do jihad. <laughs> because there's nothing that you can do in Melbourne CBD that that, uh, that that's violent and is going to help. But when you're raising your peaceful voice and the people around you can see, then you're bringing awareness to our cause, and that's what you need to see. Right, and that's and that's why these protests are so important, and that's why I'll keep going as long as um, they're they're on. I'll be there, and even when they're not on, I'll be protesting myself um, with the people around me that I know to to educate them on on the issues that are happening overseas, and you know what the ramifications of all these acts of aggression are. Beautiful. Yeah. any last questions, boys? Really happy the way it was, bro. Jimmy, Hi, we appreciate you coming on, bro. Taking time, obviously, out of your busy schedule. Um, I think I reiterate this a lot. Subhanallah, when people talk about giving, time is probably the most important thing or entity or quantity, whatever it is you want to call it, that you can give somebody else. So we appreciate you coming on, bro, telling your story. I appreciate you guys giving me the opportunity to tell it. And um, yeah, we need to spread a message of unity, inshallah, and just um, start 
you know, having each other's backs and making sure that we're one community that support one another. Definitely. I want to say it now. I'm getting you on again talk about all things business because your story, even though you just got to touch on it in like 30 seconds each part, there's a lot to delve into. So inshallah, when the time's right, we're going to get you, you know, back inshallah. on. Inshallah. Just any, any, anytime, I appreciate beautiful. you guys. Is there any way that people can find you? Like social media, is it LinkedIn, Instagram? Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm on everything. Just hash Taya. Um, last name T-A-Y-E-H. That's for LinkedIn, Instagram, uh, Facebook. If, if anyone has any questions, any concerns, if anyone is curious um, uh, to dive into uh, a bit more of what I said. I'm more than happy for you to message me and um, I might be slow with my replies, but I will reply. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Remember to like, comment and subscribe. We'll see you next week.